From tellmeyourdreams.com, this is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Converge is a show about that space, that tension between finding work that pays the bills and making our work meaningful. The show lives where our personal and professional lives collide, giving all of us the chance to rethink how we live and labor in a work-from-everywhere economy. My guess is you're someone who would like to make a little bit more money or save a little bit more money or get out of a jam or find greater fulfillment in your life. If you're in any of those categories or a derivative of those categories by hunches, of course you want those things. But the problem is it can feel like you never have enough time or you don't have enough money to figure out the right path forward. You might even feel a little stuck. And the problem with stuck is sometimes it can feel like you're not sure you have what it takes to get unstuck. It makes you feel nervous and anxious. But you know deep in your gut, there's got to be a better way. Well, if that's you, you are in for a treat today on today's podcast. My guest is Chris Gillibo, and he understands where you're coming from. On top of that, uh, he has something to say about it. For as long as I've known him, which is over 10 years, he has been consistently been a thought leader and a voice of hope and inspiration. He's best-selling author in New York Times with The $100 Startup. He wrote The Side Hustle. He wrote Happiness of Pursuit, Born for This, and his kind of manifesto that he started with, The Art of Nonconformity. He's the host of The Side Hustle Show, which posts every single day and has since January 1st, 2017. The guy is prolific, but more than that, he's legit. He offers inspiration and practical steps to move forward. And he's also the author of a brand new book called The Money Tree. So in this conversation, as you get to know Chris or reacquaint yourself with Chris, and hear some of his path forward, I think what you're going to discover is some of these obstacles might be more doable than you think. With a little bit of curiosity and a little bit of chutzpah, you might get a lot farther than you thought you could. Chris Gillibo, welcome to Converge. Hey, Dan, thanks for having me back. It's been a long time. It has. It's been way too long. And I'm so grateful, man. You have been busy. I mean, between uh-huh. $100 startup, side hustle, side hustle show, before that, Happiness of Pursuit, Born for This, Art of Nonconformity, like the the book where it really, for me at least, it all started, all your world domination summits and pioneer mm-hmm. nations. <laughs> it just doesn't seem to stop. Fill us in a little bit on your journey, especially pre-COVID and COVID, uh, especially right. for folks who don't don't have as much context as I do for sure, your, your story. Yeah, um, cool, man. Well, thanks for having me back. And I, I know that you're you're also pretty busy and you're putting out a lot of stuff. So hats off to you and probably the listeners as well. I would imagine if uh, you're listening to this podcast, then you are a creator and you're motivated to start projects. So that's kind of how it's always been for me. Like I, if I finish something, I'm like, what's next? You know, mm-hmm. because I I feel very fortunate that I you know, do work that I care about. And, you know, at least at least some people out there care about it as well. So I, I have found that convergence point that I think is is so essential. So let's see, as for what's, um, you know, filling you in on pre-COVID and COVID. So, I mean, about 10 years ago, I started writing online. I had this project of going to every country in the world. And that's when I started that, that first blog, The Art of Nonconformity, which became my first book. And, you know, ever since I've just been Writing books, hosting events, doing different projects, uh, you know, some successful, many not successful, but just, you know, trying different stuff. 
And uh, when COVID arrived, I was getting ready to put out uh, my new book called The Money Tree and was really excited to go on a 40-city tour. I had everything all booked up and like my plane tickets and venues and all that stuff. And then, of course, 40 cities dropped to zero cities mm. and uh, just had to kind of adjust like everybody else uh, and such. But so it's been interesting to kind of like, you know, have lots of virtual conversations and, you know, meetings from people around the world. But, you know, just looking at my webcam or talking on the microphone like this. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at now. I've you know, got this book trying to get the word out, uh, trying to be helpful wherever I can be helpful. You know, like I feel like for those of us that aren't first responders or working in the healthcare field, um, like we also have some responsibility. We're like we're not saving the world, but there's something hopefully that we can offer to people. You know, during this time, so I'm trying to figure out, okay, what what is that for me, and how can I make myself available, however possible. Well, it, it's interesting. The book itself strikes me as remarkably timely for a lot of folks, and and you did this book a little differently than you have mm. other books. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the style with which you wrote this and why? Yeah, so this is a so this is a story. It's actually my first novel, and it's it's a narrative. It's um, one person's experience of well, it's this guy named Jake, and he's the protagonist of the story. He's uh, experiencing a lot of financial pressure. He has you know a lot of student loan debt. Uh, that then affects other parts of his life, which I think a lot of people can relate to right now. And and uh, something I think is is true is like when you have that, that kind of financial pressure, it's not just like compartmentalized. It does affect your relationships, your health, your wellness, your your day job, you know, other, other stuff. And so he's trying to figure out, okay, what do I do? How do I get out of this situation? He already has a decent job and he's a hard worker. Um, so he can't just work harder. He realizes, you know, he can't just drive for Uber. That's not really going to help him you know, in the long term. So he has to create something, you know, he has to create something and make money from it. And he's never done that before. So he goes on this exploration and joins a group of people called the third way. And they're all trying to do this in their own own path and such. And, you know, lot, lots of different trial and error. He learns how to resell his textbooks. He like, starts a service, et cetera. And so my hope is like people can read this book, not having any interest in entrepreneurship at all. I mean, I'm happy for people who are entrepreneurs to read it too, but like people who are just interested in the story and they find it entertaining and enjoyable, um, but then they also are going to learn something and they're going to learn, okay, hopefully this is relatable. Um, this is not about celebrities. It's not about people with access to a lot of wealth. It's just ordinary people, you know, who kind of like I've written about in my other books that are how-to business books, but, you know, ordinary people who find a way to make something for themselves to create more security, more financial security for themselves. So uh, I've done a lot of business books before. And the thing about business books is like, that's a pretty segmented market and like, People who read business books are one group of people, and then you have a much larger group of people who don't read business books at all, um, but yet who have the same need for financial security. And so, my hope is to reach uh, you know more of those folks. It's funny. I uh, I don't know if we've ever talked about C.S. Lewis as an author. Is that, mm. is, that is that a name that you are you like? And yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. I don't think I've read a ton of C.S. Lewis, but I mean, of course, I'm familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember uh, when I studied him a little bit in uh, undergrad. He would write books that were mere books, like he wrote. The Four Loves, which was more of a descriptor um, mm -hmm. of things, where and then he'd write Two Faces, which was really the same book, but mm -hmm. from the more romantic fiction approach. And it was really with this intention. Apparently, uh, scholars mm -hmm. suggest that he was trying to reach two very different audiences because he right. he couldn't get about. So it's, I think you're in great company with That's that. That's interesting. I that don't approach. think I've ever heard that about C.S. Lewis. I have to go check that out. Yeah, it's really he did, he did it with several of his books. So like Grief, yeah. Grief Observed and the opposite one. But they're they're all these like mirror books. But I just think that's so mm. helpful for folks who have different learning styles or really want to just hear the narrative and the story, but also get the principles out of those. Mm. I have to ask, just because you mentioned it, are, 
And mm. and if this is a, a spoiler, feel free to pass. But you said uh, sure. your character finds a third way community. Mm. Is there a first and yeah. second you can tell us what those are? Yeah, of course. No, I totally can. Um, in fact, I, I wrote the book under the title of The Third Way. And somewhere you know closer to publication, we realized the money tree is probably a better title. But the third way group, you know, as I said, it consists of people who are all trying to earn money apart from their day job. Some of them hope to quit their job and go all in. Others are just trying to pay off debt or otherwise create savings for themselves or whatever. And the, the premise behind that third way is that there's you know the first way of starting a business, which is kind of the old school way of opening up a coffee shop or retail store you know, dry cleaner or something like that. And, and to do that, um, it's definitely going to require some capital. You're going to have to have money one way or another, whether it's your money or you borrow it from a bank, from your parents, from your credit card, whatever. And there's also risk involved with that. There's a long timeline, you know, before you figure out if it's even going to work or not. And uh, then there's the second way, which is the startup way or the Silicon Valley model. And that almost always involves investors. And, you know, the, the thing about both of those models is even though they're quite different, you're like, well, the Shark Tank model is a lot different than opening up a store on Main Street, but they're, they're both dependent on other people. Mm. And they both require, you know, outside validation or external, you know, permission slips in the form of money or in terms of something else. And so the third way is kind of what I've been writing about for a decade, just accidental entrepreneurs, ordinary people in middle America or elsewhere. Geography is not really important. They're just, they're doing something that they care about, that they have knowledge of, they're starting with a skill they already have, they're not trying to raise money, they're not necessarily trying to scale, some of them are trying to build a bigger business, but the point is they're doing it uh, without seeking investment, uh, without taking a lot of risk, and in a short period of time, and which is another way to reduce risk, right? Because if you spend you know, a few weeks working on something on the side and it doesn't work, then the worst case scenario is it doesn't work and you have a learning experience, you can apply it to whatever comes next. Uh, whereas with the other, the other models, there's a lot more risk. And so the third way is just kind of encouraging people to start where they are with what they already have and, and then adjusting as they go along. It, just, I mentioned earlier that this could be a book that's timely, but as you're describing that and the world we're in, and we, none of us really know how, how the new world will, will present right. itself. Will we go back or will something new show up? If you were Gonna guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like the third way is kind of <laughs> mm-hmm. might be the only way uh, for some folks. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I mean, I think there will always be you know traditional businesses. Like I want to support small businesses uh, um, in the sense of like I have a friend who owns a retail store. She actually has four locations, and you know she did pretty well the past couple of years. But you know now this year, like it's a retail business. It requires customers you know, to be there in person. And she's done the best she can to adapt online and such, but it's pretty hard, you know, and she has really significant lease costs. You know, she's got more than 20 employees and that's that's a tough situation to be in. And I'm sure the startup world will continue in its own way, but that's that's something that's just kind of a, apart from from what I do and from a lot of people that I connect with. You know, they, they don't really relate to that model or they they don't want to necessarily be dependent on outside investors or they don't have the connections to make those, you know, those um, relationships and such. So I don't know if it's the only way, but, um, and obviously I'm biased, uh, but to me, it is the better way. To me, it is like, to me, it's the only way that I've known. And, you know, I, I don't give advice on things I don't know about. So when people ask me like, how do I, how do I, you know, raise, you know, angel investing? I'm like, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> but what I can tell you is like, I've, I've talked with thousands and thousands of people over the years, you know, who found a way to be successful without that. And a lot of them, at least, would say this is better. Let's talk about that that idea of what you've been practicing for so many years. A theme that's come up over and over again, well, partly because 
uh, one of our guests this season was James Clear of Atomic mm. Habits. Yeah. And, and right. uh, so habits has been kind of a core theme. I'm actually just finishing up a, a habit course uh, mm-hmm. during nice. this kind of COVID time. Um, and But I'm curious, when you describe that and you, descri- you think about your own set of practices, if someone goes and reads The Money Tree and they're like, yeah, this is inspiring, but they're not habituated to think the way you're describing, mm-hmm. um, how might somebody, or what, maybe it could be like, what are some of the habits or how might somebody develop those habits? Could you just talk a little bit or reflect a little bit about the habits you've taken on over the years and how those have served you in your ability to take on this third way? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And that, that's probably the central question that I look at through the book of the story of this character because he doesn't know how to do it either, even though he had some, he's working at this consulting group, so he has some business experience, but he realizes that it's not necessarily relevant to this new world. And so he kind of goes through the journey of um, like at one of the first group meetings, the leader of the, of the meeting challenges him to make $1,000, you know, before the next week's meeting. And he's, well, how am I going to do that? I don't know. I don't know. I, if I knew how to make $1,000, you know, I wouldn't be in this situation because then I could do it over and over again. But he kind of figures it out. He goes through this process of like first, you know, reselling his college textbooks and then learning to see what else he could sell and then learning about how to start a service. And the way that you do that is by just kind of taking an inventory of your skills and talents and areas of knowledge and expertise and asking your friends what you're good at. And then from there, you're kind of choosing something to focus on and develop an offer from, create a product or service like a habits course, like what you're doing right now. I mean, that's something that's very relevant to people. It's um, something very relevant, very clear benefit, et cetera. So I think this is a journey that's reflected in the book, but I would say without the book, somebody can still like, you know, you can, you can brainstorm, you can ask yourself what you are good at. You can ask your friends, you can think, what are those topics that people look to me, you know, to provide answers about? And then how can I then turn that into a a product or a service? And at a certain point, it's just kind of steps, you know, at a certain point, it's just, it's not that difficult to follow the practical steps of that. Um, I think what gets people held up are these bigger picture things of, well, I don't, I don't know what I'm good at, or I didn't have this entrepreneurial education, therefore I must be, you know, severely limited in some way, or, you know, what if it fails or what, you know, I think that's the kind of stuff that people are limited by much more than these practical steps, which are pretty easy to learn. At the beginning, you mentioned that you've tried a lot of things over the years and not all of them turned out. It's hard to believe that, honestly, because it feels like from, from the outside looking in, Chris, you, <laughs> you've had a, a, a decent amount of successes uh, that are renowned. I mean, it's kind of exciting. And I'm not trying to say that to flatter. I'm really trying to say it to say, I know there's more to the story sure. where, where it, things didn't turn out the way you were hoping. Even right now, like, you know, you weren't. Yeah, out. even right now. I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is a good example right now. It's not quite what I imagined or what I hoped for. And uh, even this book, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your question. No, Just no, no, you comment, get it. Like even, even with this book, um, like I really wanted to write the book in this way. I actually feel feel proud of it. I feel like I, I wrote seven or eight drafts of this book, and normally I'm like three drafts, you know, like three drafts, that's good, I'm done, you know. Um, but I wrote seven or eight drafts, complete drafts of this book, because I'd never worked in this form before. I'd never written fiction. And, and so I did feel like it was special and different, but the challenge in the publishing world is like special and different isn't always valued, you know? Like uh, in, in publishing, just like a lot of other industries, you know, the, the powers that be kind of want you to make something that's just like something else, but, you know, slightly different essentially so that they can put it on the shelf either, you know, physically or virtually with, you know, one other book and say, well, if you like 50 shades of gray, then you're going to like this or whatever it is. 
And so this is like its own, its own kind of genre, basically, like blending fiction and nonfiction. And yeah. so there's a, fair, there's a fair amount of skepticism with that. So I'm, what I'm saying is like, yeah, it's cool that I did that. Like, I'm proud of it. But at, at the same time, like, it's, hard, it's, it's not the easiest thing to talk about. And I can look at some of my other books and like some of them have done well and a couple of them haven't done that well and, and kind of dissect why that was. Or in some cases, it's a mystery. I don't know. So I just kind of keep going and doing stuff. So I don't know. I, I just, I try not to obsess over the stuff that doesn't work too well. I just, I tend to be pretty forward or like future oriented uh, for better or worse. Yeah. That sounds like a habit that is resourceful. It reminds me a little <laughs> bit of um, uh, uh, a conversation I've been in for a long time with, with Seth Godin around uh-huh, yeah. like his, like this could work, this might not work. If there's not the possibility of it not working, it's right. pro- he would say it's not very interesting. Right, um, exactly. Yeah, the stakes are low. The stakes are pretty low in your life. If you if your if your goals have a hundred percent, you know, odds of success, then you have pretty small goals. I would say, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, what what are reasonable odds? Like, is it is it baseball? Is it like you know you get a hit every five five at bats or yeah? I don't know. I think it's a, it's like uh, that's a good question about it. Like, what, what are the odds? It's more of like intuition or like how does it feel like does it feel like you're going up against a challenge i guess that's it the challenge is the value right Mm -hmm. does it feel like you're going up against a challenge does it feel like there's a possibility that it it might not work for me i've always found challenge and struggle to be like these helpful values that's so good man yeah that a big theme and sorry to interrupt you there's a siren in the background i don't know if you can hear that oh no it it was actually dramatic we actually put that as an overlay (laughs) great (laughs) just say if you want to just wait a second hopefully it'll go away but uh, yeah just That's part funny. of the soundscape, no problem. <laughs> nice. It, it's funny if if you don't have that nowadays in COVID times, it's, it re, people really just feel like it's way too produced and canned. That's and, funny. That that is the sta- <laughs> the standard is lower now, which is helpful in some ways, <laughs> especially when it comes to like Zoom calls and so, nobody knows how to use, you know, these these technologies that are kind of basic to some of us. So it's totally. fun fun sometimes. Well, let let's get into some practicalities for folks who are home. So, like number one, I I would strongly encourage if you've never read Chris. Gillibo at home, go, go get something. Uh, I'd encourage you to go get this one in particular to start, but wherever you're at, the, the, the titles are self-explanatory and they're highly valuable, especially if you're in a situation and you want change, but you want to do it in a way that you can kind of dial it up like a dimmer switch. It doesn't have to be an about face, leap off a, a ledge and, and it's all over. I would strongly encourage you to go and do that. But Chris, if you're sitting down with coffee over uh, with somebody and they're, they are that character uh, in your book, and they they just want like a th- a three part plan. Like if they're they mm. they really don't have a a skill set right now, but their world just got interrupted. Whether it's a pandemic or mm. their girlfriend broke up with them, or yeah. <laughs> or yep. they just don't like their job anymore. Um, mm-hmm. What 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 process would you invite them to consider? Mm. Yeah, great question. Something I started saying a few years back. This is one of these things you have to be careful about saying. You have to kind of like, you know, consider the actual conversation. Like, is it appropriate or not? But I found that more often than not, and let, let's take it out. Let's take COVID out of it for a moment. And let's talk about like losing your job. When somebody talks about like it got laid off or whatever. I did this for the first time at some point. It, it just seemed right. And I started doing it more often. When I heard from somebody that would, that would call in or send an email or something, like I lost my job. I started saying, congratulations. Right. And that kind of takes them a moment to get like, well, nobody's ever said that, but normally they always say, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm so sorry you lost your job or whatever. And what I began hearing, again, the context is important, but what I began hearing often is like, people are like, wow, you know, nobody ever says that, but that's right. You know, like this is that, that job wasn't the right thing for me, or I wanted to leave for a long time, but I 
I just didn't see an alternative. I didn't have the courage. I was, it was comfortable to stay where I was, even though it wasn't great. Um, so, uh, so when I say congratulations, it's like, this is an opportunity for you. Like, or if you've been rejected, like if your girlfriend breaks up with you, like this is, um, you know, this is an opportunity for you to, to consider a different life path than you would have considered before. And what are you going to, to do with that? Like, so big picture, let's just reframe and say, there's a lot of stuff that you can't control. And that is very relevant right now with COVID. Like there's a lot of stuff that we can't control. We're all on lockdown or depending on when you're listening to this, maybe it's changed, but no doubt there's like a lot of restrictions that have affected our lives and constrained us in different ways. So if 99% of things are outside of your control, what is the 1% that is within your control? What are you doing about that? And you know, there is something that you have to offer the world. I guess that's maybe the next thing. Like, there is something you have to offer the world and you are good at something that is valuable to other people. And what you're good at is not just what you trained in, you know, at, at college, university or whatever education you had, whether you went to college or not. It's not just that thing that you do for your employer that gives you a paycheck or has given you a paycheck in the past. Those skills can be applied in lots of different ways. So, you know, what is the next step for you? Then how are you going to look at your skills and say, is there something that I can offer more entrepreneurially? Even if you, and it, like if, let's say you're in a job and you like that job, that's great. Stay in that job, but also build security on the side so that if that situation changes, then you've got options and you can do something different uh, or you can work yourself out of a job or like there's lots of different possibilities, but it's going to start with you recognizing, okay, okay, this is an opportunity. What am I going to do? How can I then develop you know, my power of observation, which is something that's not really taught in school also, but important uh, so that I can see what I have that, that might be valuable to others. And then how can I, you know, move forward and take action? Because we've all been stuck, but, I, you know, this is an opportunity for you to get unstuck, I would say. Yeah. Can we camp out on that? Like, so what I'm hearing is I'm hearing four things. I'm hearing one, congratulations, two, what's the 1%, three, how can I develop my power of observation, mm. and four, take action. That third one, could you say a little bit more about the power of observation? Because I think that's that's a lot. There's a lot of gold in those hills. What do you mean? Yeah, cool, cool. Power of observation. Yeah, well, we'll see if we can find some gold or not. <laughs> um, power of observation. So maybe that's like a big phrase that is essentially just like curiosity. How can you be more curious? Because again, this is not something that you learn. You don't have like curiosity class or something. But a lot of the like little businesses that I've looked at, like on the podcast, I've been doing this podcast now for 1,225 days. Or so I do it every single day. I haven't missed a day since I started January 1, 2017. And I was really worried at first because it's like, okay, if I'm going to do it every day, like, am I going to run out of topics? Am I going to run out of stories, you know, out of content essentially? And I keep finding stories in, of, of people that have started these little businesses and in all kinds of different areas that I never would have thought of. I did a story about the, this couple that has like a rent a chicken business. And like, you know, if you've ever wanted to, own a chicken, but weren't sure if you wanted to make a lifelong commitment, you can rent a chicken from them, you know, amazing. see how, see how it feels. Um, <laughs> did a story about this guy who's making like six figures doing drone photography for real estate agents, you know, which actually makes perfect sense if you start thinking about it. But at first it sounds you're like, well, that's kind of weird, you know, stories about just all kinds of different, different little topics. Um, this guy who's doing and making lightsabers, you know, for star Wars fans and, and like built a pretty successful business out of that. So there's, there's something out there. You have to, it just starts with being curious and, and saying, what is that thing that I know about? Like, Oh, I've, I actually know how to make, make a lot of different stuff. And I'm a star Wars fan. What would it be like to actually make lightsabers and sell them to that very active community? The drone guy. Um, I mean, like he's a photographer now. I don't know if he actually was a photographer or a pilot, before he just kind of learned both of those skills and applied them there. So somebody actually is who is a pilot and is a photographer would probably even be you know more successful and would adapt to that quicker. 
I don't know what the story is with the chicken people, but there's got to be something, something there. <laughs> so curiosity, it's like curiosity. And then also, like you said, taking action because there's, it's both, right? Because a lot of people have a lot of ideas yeah. and then don't ever do anything with them. And that's, that to me is like, okay, we got to get past that somehow. There's a guy on Masterclass right now that I'm obsessed with named Ron Finley. He's the gangster gardener. Uh, he started uh-huh. started planting gardens in South Central, and now he's become this like world renowned. But it's it, it he echoes so much of what you're saying. Like he was just noticing what was under his nose and yeah. put himself in a position to make a difference. Uh, so okay, so last question as we head towards home here. Let's fast forward. Let's say somebody has taken those initial steps and they get some traction, and they become their version of Chris Gillibo. Like they're in a position where they are now living their life. Talk a little bit about. What are the things they've left behind that they are really grateful? Like, really, it's for you. What are the things you've left behind by taking on this as a, a real lifestyle that you've committed to for mm. a, a, as long as I've known you, which is over a decade? Yeah. Like, what what are you looking back on? You're like, I'm sure glad I don't have that anymore. And what what do you experience now where you're like, man, this the the upside to this is yeah. is un, not only uncommon but undervalued, underappreciated. Yeah, I mean that's a great question. I don't I don't think that I have sacrificed a lot to do this. Like I want to be clear, I don't think I have given up you know in some way. I, I never had a traditional job. You know, I never had a traditional career. I wasn't good at that. I wasn't good at working for other people and so I had to kind of find my own way. Hmm. And honestly, like I think this is better. Like I think I'm doing like if I was to try to compete in a traditional job market, what would I even do? Like I have no idea. Hmm. You know, I'm sure I have some skills that could be applied in some way, but I don't think I'd ultimately be good at it, nor would I be valuable to an employer. So I don't know. I, I feel like there's always room for growth. Of course, there's things I want to do better. There's a lot of things I want to do better, things I regret or wished I'd done differently perhaps, but that's a little bit different than like, what have I left behind? For me, I feel like I've gained so, so much more than whatever that thing is I've left, I've left behind. And if I look back and like when I made the decision to travel to every country or I made the decision to start blogging or try to get my first book deal, which, you know, like 13 publishers turned down and then finally, you know, very small publishers said yes. I'm like, okay, great, done. You know, like if I think about that, like I'm, I'm so glad that I said yes to these, these opportunities or not even opportunities, but just ideas at a certain point of like, I have a sense I should do this thing. I'm so, so glad because my life is much better because I said yes. This was episode four, season five of the Business of Creativity podcast. Converge is made possible thanks to the Habit Course from tellmeyourdreams.com. TMYD provides world-class coaching designed specifically for remote teams. Find out why Forbes magazine called TMYD's Habit Course the online course to master working from home. Sign up today at tellmeyourdreams.com.